blocking. He patterned downfield. Touchdown, Miami. What a throw. Devontae Parker. Holy smokes. What a drive. What is up, Dolph fans? And welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, back with you again for another draft slash comprehensive off-season review podcast. We're going to get in today on a very busy edition of Drive Time to Chris Greer and Brian Flores' day three media availability. They talked, like we're going to do on this podcast, about the roster as a whole and the off-season as a whole. A couple of things I'm going to cover on this podcast, talking about the additions on defense and how the coverage on the back end matches what they have in the front end, the additions to the pass rush game they made and how that's different from last year, the additions on the back end and how Miami might be able to get even more four-man pressure looks and play more coverage this season. That certainly is exciting. We're going to talk about the running back room, how the offensive line was constructed, and how Tua's arsenal got better, not just in talent, but fitting his strengths as a player. All of that and more on this edition of the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. And we are going to get into all the fun recap and analysis stuff from yours truly here in just one moment. But I thought the Saturday night presser with Coach and Chris was full of great information and detail, starting with this bit on the running back room. You know, Malcolm, we, we really liked him. Played against him this year with the Rams and um, did a lot of things for them. Short yardage, third down, somebody who was reliable dependable um and was uh was productive for those guys so um and he's been productive you know, really throughout the course of the year, uh, of his career and played a uh, in a variety of roles so you know sure yarders third down you know goal line things like things of that nature so we thought he'd be a good addition to the room along with miles along with Savon. um and obviously we're, we're adding dokes to that to the mix now and we're going to circle back and hear more from Coach about the running back room. But I want to go ahead and put this thought out there first about what Coach had said there about the physicality that both Jared Dokes and Malcolm Brown bring to the offense in terms of being able to run between the tackles and be physical guys and how there's different backs that fulfill different roles in this offense. And to go back to Malcolm Brown and Jared Dokes, both those guys have been discussed with their pass protection. There's a great tweet from Dokes out there from a couple months ago or years ago, I don't know when it was, where he said, if you want to keep your quarterback clean, give me a call. So he loves the pass protection. Malcolm Brown, same idea there. And both those guys, again, the physical nature of their game, but three down backs that can stay on the field because they can contribute in the passing game as well as pass protect. Same story with Miles Gaskin and Savon Ahmed as far as three down players and guys that can fulfill all the roles of the running back position. They just do it a little bit differently, right? More slashers, guys that can get outside and stretch out the defense and cut back and find the backside lane with good vision. We heard the uh, coach Bonafa from UW, the running backs coach there who I had in the podcast back in December, talked about how Savon was smooth jazz or was more hip hop, whereas Miles Gaskin was smooth jazz. So a bit different running styles, but at the end of the day, they both can really stretch a defense and find those backside lanes. But all these guys have those four or the three down roles that can contribute with. And it reminds me as we continue talking about kind of these satellite ideas on defense with this player fits this role from a pass Brian Flores defense. And offensively, taking a look at the running backs in New England up there, for instance, over all those years, some of those best teams were when they had LeGarrette Blunt as that physical bell cow with James White as the pass-catching third down guy. But all those guys could do every aspect of the offense. And eventually, that evolved into Sonny Michelle with James White and with Rex Burkhead and with Damian Harris. So 
I look at this running back a lot like that by committee, guys that are three down players and guys that all offer a little bit something different in that regard. And just real quick on Miles Gaskin, 97.2 yards from scrimmage per game last year in 10 games. That ranked 11th among all NFL players and it ranked 10th among running backs. And we saw him when he was healthy. He was he was producing, he was contributing. And we talk about his work in the passing game. You might recall that Bengals game in week 13 or 14, whatever it was, when we had that deep pass from Tua that, that fell, fell incomplete, could have been a possible 90-something yard touchdown. Second and 10, backed up to their own goal line, trailing in that game. And he throws a swing pass out to Miles Gaskin, who's basically bottled up in the backfield. He slips two tackles and turns a loss into like a 15-yard gain, and that drive ends in points. So he had 35 missed tackles forced last year in those 10 games. Underrated aspect of his game. He had really RB1 stats and some RB1 games last year, as I think we probably at this point on the depth chart would consider him running back one. And I just continue to go back to things I heard from players and coaches last year and things I saw with my own eyes. I told you guys my favorite part of working at the facility was on Tuesdays when players are off, walking from the podcast studio back to the building where I did my writing and seeing who was out on the practice field. You know, Tua was out there all the time, especially after he became the starter. But Miles Gaskin was always out on the field getting extra work in when he didn't have to, when he wasn't asked to, spending his off day on the campus, on the facility. And, you know, Jerome Baker and so many other players made comments about that work ethic. And so did Coach Studisville, the running backs coach and now co-offensive coordinator. But Jerome Baker basically put it like, Miles' production, and this was through four or five games, Miles' production is not a surprise to anybody that's been around him, the way this kid works. And we saw that in training camp pretty much from day one. You recall my training camp reports where every day it was Miles Gaskin had another big run, probably scored a touchdown on that play from 50, 40 yards out. He was just continuously showing up and popping and that number 37 jersey kept flashing for you. So I think that when you consider what Miles Gaskin did last year, the second year in the NFL, after a first season where he barely played at all, I think you have to look at a year three jump as a real possibility for Miles Gaskin. Just got to get that guy healthy for 17 games and let's roll with him and that committee of backs. So I think it's an interesting point there as far as how they get production out of that position. Let's go ahead and go back to coach here talking about the growth with Miles Gaskin as well as Savon Ahmed and wrap up this running back room talk. So a lot of growth from year one to year two. I think we all saw that. I mean, he goes in the game, he's productive. Um, missed a number of games last year due to injury, but you know, when he was in there, he's productive in the run game, in the pass game, in the protection game. Um, same thing with Ahmed. Uh, you know, kind of had to get his feet wet a little bit, but you know, he, he got better over as the course uh, over the course of the season. Uh, and then we add Malcolm Brown. Uh, but I think uh, you know, as far as you know, specific to Miles, who you mentioned, I think he he, he he's, you know he's a hardworking kid. It's important to him, and. Um, he's going to do everything possible to get every bit of uh, production out of himself. Same, same thing with uh, Savon. Um, and then, and then, and, and I think we'll get the same out of Malcolm Brown also. And so there you go. Coach saying, you know, echoing those sentiments about how hard of a worker Miles Gaskin was and that jump as well as Savon Ahmed. He then had a follow-up question here asking about adding to the, to the skill positions, but also the offensive line and how that can help, alter what the defense does as far as loading up the box. If they want to make that decision or if they want to play light in the box and how you attack that. Here's Brian Flores talking about the additions on the offensive line made this offseason with DJ Fluker, Matt Skura, Larnell Coleman, as well as Liam Eichenberg over the weekend, but also on the perimeter with Will Fuller and Jalen Waddle now both in the fold as well as tight end Hunter Long. I think it does a lot. I mean, I think if you got, you know, guys who can run on the perimeter, um, 
if you load the box, you know, there's more opportunity for one-on-one uh, -on -one matchups and uh, opportunities downfield. Uh, so you know, defenses have to make that, that decision when you have those types of players on the field. Um, and again, if you don't load the box and you, know, you, you play for those big plays and there's less people in the box and uh, less people to block. And you know, I think it's, it really becomes kind of a numbers math game. You get those guys blocked, there's more space to run. So, uh, there, there, I mean, there's a lot to this. And as you guys know, I mean, you guys watch, have seen a lot of football and understand the game. So um, you know, when you have guys on the perimeter and guys who, who, who you know, dem demand uh, some attention, that kind of attention, um, then, you know, there, there could be more space and there, there may not be. And if, if that's the case, then we've got to take advantage of, of those matchups on the perimeter. So, I mean, it's a, it's a chess game, as you, as you all know. And um, obviously the run, the run game and how, how you attack the run game, that's, that's, that's part of it. I mean, I feel like I really only have one reaction to that answer. Really right, 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 right. Still a lot of room to work <laughs> So with yeah. that consideration, right. you know, I'll go. Down, You'll uh, still do it. Look at that. Look at that. Yeah, sure. yeah. Look at that. I mean, just look at that. Isn't that weird? Where did we hear that before? I mean, it's interesting, I tell you. We covered that almost every day here on Drive Time and especially the night one recap about how Will Fuller and Jalen Waddle and what their speed and that dynamic does to this offense and how it creates more space by basically taking you out of any possible single high defense. And if you want to try that, go for it. Cause then we have one-on-one -on -one opportunities on the outside with these playmakers and the ripple effect it has for Mike Gesicki and Devontae Parker to work the middle of the football field and even Parker for his downfield prowess and Mike Gesicki with that, what was it? A 70 yard reception last year against the Niners. Like all of these guys can stretch the field. And now you just create more opportunity for those guys in the passing game, but not to mention in the running game, Kyle Krabs had a great tweet about this about how you can influence the running game with better blocking, with better tight end play, with better receiver play, and just a better overall efficiency in the passing game. Let's go ahead and go to the other side of the ball now and talk about some defense, and specifically where newcomer Bernardrick McKinney fits into this defense. You know, BMAC, I, I've, been, I've watched him, scouted him for you know, a long time. He's um, uh, big, fast, physical, um, you know, Really good in the, in, the, in the run game. I think he's a good pass rusher. Uh, you know, versatile on the ball, off the ball, uh, and smart. Um, and 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 you know, my conversations with him already have been about um, you know how much how much you know, do we think he can do? How much do we think? I think he can handle a lot. So I think you'll we'll see him in a lot of a lot of different roles. You know, in the line of scrimmage, off the line of scrimmage, on the edge. I mean, blitzing, um, and um, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, we get him in here, get him, get him going with our terminology, our verbiage, um, get him in there, and get him in with his teammates. I mean, you know, it's one thing for one person to do it, but uh, he's obviously going to be working with several other teammates, and uh, we just got to get him, get him going uh, along with the rest of the group. And so, I mean, let's talk about how often I've seen folks out there, whether it's fans or pundits or both, I suppose, hung up on this idea that 
Bernardrick McKinney is only a between-the-tackles run defender who doesn't contribute on passing downs. And just look at his numbers over the years. That couldn't be further from the truth. And it's not just that he's an on-ball player. You heard Coach talk about it right there. Off-ball, on-ball, rushing, playing the run in the passing game. It's just such a miscast perception of what Bernardrick McKinney is and why this team puts so much value to go get him and offloading a, a good player, a good productive player like Shaq Lawson to make that addition because he is a massive body. 260-pound linebackers like that. That was the attractive part of Zayvon Collins in this draft and why I think that even though he went two picks ahead of Miami, maybe he could have been in play. I don't want to say that he that he wasn't, but I think that Bernardrick McKinney can do a lot of the things that he can in that regard with regards to playing multiple spots down on the edge, off the football, and giving you that big, huge body and that blitzing experience. This guy is a really fantastic blitzer who can occupy blo- uh, blockers, much like those big defensive ends do and big tackles up front. You know, Christian Wilkins, Raekwon Davis, as well as Zach Sealer off the edge too, Adam Butler now to that mix. Those guys do such a good job of occupying blockers, picking blockers so that linebackers can come in free and, and get those free runs in the quarterback. And you get those big, big game-changing plays like the strip sacks and the touchdowns from Emmanuel Ogba last season. We saw that because of so much team-oriented rush packages where you do have those blitzes and those pick stunts and all that stuff that creates creates opportunities for your teammate. This guy is very, very Dante Hightower-esque in terms of that big linebacker that can play down on the football, give you a Sam in the running game that can set the edge and funnel things back inside, play off the ball and bang between the two B-gaps, but also blitz the quarterback and have a big impact that way. Let's go back to the offensive side of the football now where Coach discussed the offensive line, replacing Eric Flowers and the elevation of Coach Lemuel Jean-Pierre as the offensive line coach. Well, well I mean, I'll answer the first part of that um first so I think anytime you you move on from a player I think the whole the process there is well how are you going to either replace that player who's behind that player that's the first thing you think of and um, if you don't have confidence in whatever that decision is going to be whether there's a player there or there's a player you think you're going to get then you don't make that decision Um, so you know, we, you know, Chris and I and our staff, we've, we kind of go through that. You know, you mentioned Eric Flowers one. That's Those are hard decisions to make. Um, but we made them with the idea and um, uh, intent, you know, to, 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 to play some of those younger guys you mentioned. Uh, so Solomon, Robert, um, you know, not to get into to the weeds of this, but we felt pretty comfortable that we're going to be able to add a couple offensive linemen in this draft as well. Um, and those are hard decisions. And, um, but, you know, that's, that's, that's the job also. So um, that's that. As far as Lem, uh, you know, I think the world of Lem, I think, you know, he was here a year ago and his energy in practice and his acumen uh, about the game, um, run game, protection, uh, opponents. Uh, you want to see, you, you walk into his office um, and you ask a question, you be ready for a dissertation and be ready to, to, to get educated on football. Um, so, you know, oftentimes if I got somewhere to go, I just, I just put my head down and keep walking or else Lem's going to grab me in there and, and, and ask me about this defense or this front. And, you know, what happens if you know, I'm going to do this, if you do this, and it's, it's a back and forth. And he's that way with the players. He's got great rapport with the players. We saw that um, last year and I think he's going to do a, a really a heck of a job. 
I got to say, if Coach is going to continue being so transparent and informative and great on these pressers, then I might be out of a job because I've got nothing to add to that. Super thorough and informative. Let's go back to the defensive side of the ball once more. And I asked Coach a question about, you know, he had mentioned in the draft uh, day two about how you can never have enough pass rush. But with all the defensive backs this roster has and how good this team is at the defensive back position, I wanted to ask him, Coach, is it true you can never have enough defensive backs? Um, I mean, it's a passing league. I think we all know that. Um, so you, you need to be able to defend the pass. You got to defend the run also. But um, if you just look at the percentages um, and strictly the numbers, um, you know, it's, it, it's, it's a passing league. So I think, you know, in my, in my opinion, and, you know, Chris and I have had, you know, many discussions about this. Um, you know, we, we, you know, we want to be able to obviously defend the deep part of the field, um, limit explosive plays in order to do that. Um, and the guys who were back there are the, and the defensive back. So um, I think Chris, you know, he's, he, he puts a lot of emphasis on, on, on that um, with, with the scouts. Um, and and we, we, we talk about, you know, the, the back end constantly. Uh, we feel like it's important. We feel like all of it's important. I, I never, I hate to kind of talk about one thing because you know, everything, every position, every, you know, from the nose tackle to the three technique to the linebackers, it's all kind of plays as one. Um, but at the end of the day, I mean, I learned this a long time. There's nothing the nose tackle can do about, you know, 50 yard ball. So um, you know, we, 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 you know, we put an emphasis on that. And, and uh, you know, the next thing we got to do is get them coached up. Again, coach, taking me out of a job, man. That's that's phenomenal stuff there from your head coach, Brian Flores. Let's go ahead and finish with one last question here. Coach was asked about the offensive install and the acclamation for co-offensive coordinators, George Gotze and Eric Studisville, and the advantages this year of being able to be in person, be at the facility, and not all the uncertainty around everything virtual and all the adapting that had to happen last year. Here's coach talking about the offensive program this offseason so far. We're into a pretty... You know, as far as install and scheduling and how we're going to, um, how we plan to play, uh, we're, we're pretty far along. And, um, you know, getting the players in, I mean, it's you can Zoom all you want, but you got to Zoom them and install them and get on the field. And that's really how they learn. Um, so um, once we're able to get these guys in here, obviously we have a schedule and an install plan that's going to um, work uh, or, you know, work incrementally so that they can get the information and uh, be able to execute it. And I think it's going well. It really is. I mean, I meet with these guys every other day um, and we talk about, Hey, what, what's, what's going on? What are we, you know, what's the process of that? How are they learning it? Here's the verbiage. Here's the terminology. Is there a better way to get it to them to simplify things? And, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's been good. And, um, but, you know, that's that's in, in our conversations. I think it's that's one thing, and I think it's going to work um, as far as the install and how we implement it. And and but you know it's another thing once you got to get them on the field, and, and that's you know we're looking forward to that. Um, you know, getting them out here, getting them in a, in a walkthrough setting, getting them in a practice setting, and um, and that's the fun part. I couldn't agree more with coach. That is the fun part. Training camp, only a couple months away. I, I literally cannot wait 
to see this football team back on the field, to see these moves they've made and the growth and that new practice facility to Otunga Vailoa's second year, the weapons he has at his disposal. We're going to cover the entire roster on this podcast. Let's go ahead and jump right in there. But first, I want to talk about the athletic scorecards of the Dolphins draft class. Now, Next Gen Stats on Twitter, at Next Gen Stats, said that the Dolphins had the most athletic draft class in 2021, scoring 86 points on their grading scale, their average athletic scorecard. Now, the Arizona Cardinals tied Miami with 86 as well. The Panthers, 82. The Jets and Niners, both at 80. But their main tweet there has a picture of Jalen Waddell gracing the front of that cover with the Dolphins taking home that title. And I want to go ahead and jump into the scorecards, the relative athletic scorecard that produces that's produced every year by MathBomb on Twitter, at MathBomb. His name is Kent Lee Platt. You can type in any player's name, type in at MathBomb, the player's name, and then go to photos. And this guy has the athletic testing measurements of every single player and where they grade in his database going back to 1987. It's a phenomenal resource. And I've been using so many different resources on these draft podcasts. I just can't be I can't be thankful enough for everybody that does all this work that helps us get a great quality podcast out to you guys each and every day. We'll go ahead and start here with Jalen Waddle, who did not test, so he's not eligible for the RAS, which is a shame because he would have challenged to be one of the top 10 scores in the history of this thing. And again, it goes back to 1987, the year I was born. And the GPS tracking all went in favor of Waddle in this class. And we've seen that video of him tying Henry Ruggs, essentially, at Alabama in a 40-yard sprint. And Ruggs ran the fastest 40 time uh, in Indy a couple of years back, the sixth fastest of all time at 4.27 seconds. And Waddle, again, GPS metrics, whether it was straight line speed or change of direction side to side, he was the, the premier GPS tracking player in this class. So he is obviously near the top of that scorecard when you come to GPS. But going back to the RAS cards, Jalen Phillips in the first round, a 987. That's out of 10 points, guys. He ranked 19th out of 1,371 defensive ends since 1987. 19th most athletic profile for new Dolphins defensive end Jalen Phillips. And green is obviously great. Yellow is moderate and red is poor below average. His whole scorecard is green except for two categories, his 20-yard and 10-yard split with a three-cone in the yellow category as well. So this guy checks all the boxes athletically. In the second round, Javon Holland comes up next. 9-4-7, which ranks 42nd out of 767 free safeties he's graded. Now, again, Holland plays multiple positions, so you can really skew that any way you want. But among safeties, this guy is the 42nd most athletic on the scorecard out of 767 prospects. Broad jump, phenomenal. His 40-yard dash time was very, very good. 20-yard split, his shuttle, change of direction, and that really jives well with the instincts he has for the position. Also in that second round, Liam Eichenberg scored a one, he was the 166th most athletic offensive tackle out of 1,124, an 8.53 score with phenomenal times in both the shuttle and the cone, also had a great bench press grade at 33, so strength and lower body flexibility are the calling cards there for Eichenberg, which again, pairs very well with his technical, mechanically sound process there along the offensive line. Later on day two, Hunter Long wrapped it up in day three for us. He checks in as the 128th 
graded tight end out of 912 in the history of RAS with a score of 8.61. He only had one red time on here, his three cone time, so kind of that change of direction skill set. But the green times, the 20-yard split, 10-yard split, the broad jump, that all measures explosiveness out of your stance, out of the top of the break too. So he definitely has some power and explosiveness in that lower half. 128 out of 912 tight ends. These guys are all checking in in the top 90 percentile of these position groups. You can see why they were the number one graded team on next-gen stats. In the seventh round, Larnell Coleman, the offensive tackle, he grades as the 162nd tackle out of 1,134 with an 8.53 score. Vertical and broad jumps are both very, very good in the green category near the top of that list. So his explosion out of the stance, and that pairs very nicely with those long arms and that ridiculously long wingspan, the second largest in this draft class. And then Jared Dokes, the running back out of Cincinnati, he checks in as the 274th best RAS score out of 1,471 back. So everybody like 75th percentile or better in this draft class in the history of the RAS. He scores a 8.14 with great metrics in his weight at 228 pounds, but also the vertical jump, which checks in at 39 and a half inches. That's a 9.55 score out of 10 right there. So those two things combined, explosion and the lower body uh, build and the, the weight and the heaviness of his the pack, the punch that he packs, Really, really impressive look there for Jared Doak. So Miami gets very athletic in this draft class. Let's go ahead and reset the roster and go position by position and talk about what each player brings to this roster as well as kind of an overview of the position group. Before undrafted free agents have been, I guess, added to the roster, 42 on offense, 42 on defense, 84 total. And we look at the quarterback position first here. We know about Tua Tungavailoa, Dolphins signed Jacoby Brissett and bring back Reed Sinet who was a practice squad quarterback last year and was elevated in week 17 to the backup behind Tua. You guys know how I feel about Tua. The fact that he's working out this offseason looks much stronger, much more fit, and much more in shape. And, you know, not cutting off the rehab hip and the ability to have more weapons at his arsenal. We'll cover that here in just one second. But I think there's going to be a big year two jump coming here for Tua Tungavailoa. Jacoby Brissett, a great teammate, a guy that is beloved by the folks that have played with him coached him. He can also come off the bench in a pinch and win a football game for you if you need him to. He can also win some games as a starter. He has done that in this league, experienced mentorship, a good guy in that room, and Sinet, obviously, the developmental guy of the group as the practice squad player last season. We move on to the running back position here. Six players in this group, Savon Ahmed, Malcolm Brown, Jared Dokes, Miles Gaskin, Patrick Laird, and Jordan Scarlett, excuse me. And, you know, I want to go ahead and just acknowledge here that I think the Dolphins could probably use a running back at some point, but it's not over at the position group, not even close. You know, cut down day, the trades at the end of training camp, plenty of stuff can happen here. But still, in this group of running backs, we covered it in the earlier segment talking about the multiple skill sets and the fact that all of these guys basically have three down ability. Jordan Scarlett was not mentioned among that group earlier. He was a guy that has bounced around a little bit, hasn't really found a niche in the NFL, but he was a nice running back there at Ohio State with, again, more of that three down ability, a big body. He can do some things that way. And Patrick Laird has been an absolute dynamo on special teams for this Dolphins team. Savon Ahmed, Miles Gaskin, that smooth outside style run with Malcolm Brown and Jared Dokes bringing the punch there at the running back position. So those are your six guys. And I want to read this tweet here from Kyle Krabs real quick, the host of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, the co-host of my podcast here for two episodes doing the draft preview back last week. And he tweeted to embrace that you can upgrade the running game by infusing two 
4-3 speed receivers to lift the extra safety out of the box and better blockers into the offense, just like you can upgrade by adding a new running back. Perfectly said, Kyle. I cannot add on top of that. Let's go ahead and continue here at the receiver position. There are 13 of these guys in tow. Lynn Bowden Jr., Robert Foster, Will Fuller, Jakeem Grant, Mac Hollins, Alan Hearns, Kai Loxley, Kirk Merritt, Devontae Parker, Malcolm Perry, Jalen Waddle, Preston Williams, and Albert Wilson. And man, talk about rounding out the depth of this group in terms of adding more versatility to the group. Last year, you know, the top several guys on this list, Parker, Williams, Gasicki, were all big body receivers who excelled at making contested catches. And that really worked for, you know, what Ryan Fitzpatrick's skill set was in trying to kind of find the pre-snap read and get the ball to the one-on-one matchup on the offense and just let him go make a play. That hasn't been Tua's game in his career. And that's why I think the way they rounded out this arsenal of receivers to kind of fit Tua's skill set and his strengths and to open up the running game and to open up the RPO game, they just complement his strengths so well. You go back to 2018, and I guess even 2019 there at Alabama, he was so precise on whether it was deep routes, the short in-breaking routes, the quick hitters, the speed outs, whatever it was, it was all about precision, timing, accuracy, and putting the ball in position where the receiver didn't have to break stride and didn't have to work back into the defensive back or whatever it might have been. He put them in position to get upfield, square their shoulders, and make a move on the opposing tackler and then make guys miss. That's why there was so much yak. We covered the fact that both Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle had so much more yak and deep yards when they were with Tua compared to when he graduated and left Alabama. It's just, I think the skill set of the receiver crew is not only way more versatile, it definitely fulfills what Tua Tungavailoa's strengths are. The speed of Waddle and Fuller and the just complete route trees those two guys can run with Devontae Parker now possibly getting, you know, let's say less attention than what he got last year because everybody put two bodies on Devontae Parker once Preston Williams went down because why wouldn't you? Parker was the one 1,200-yard receiver the year before. Now Parker's going to get less pressure, less you know attention in the coverage on the defense. And I think it's going to make him way better. I think it's going to make Mike Gesicki way better. And I think this receiving crew has taken a massive, massive step forward this year and kind of parlay that with the tight end group and how they work together because talking about Mike Gesicki there, you know, he's he's more of a slot receiver really than a tight end, only plays in line 20% of the time in his career here in Miami. And I just, I think the tight end position with Gesicki and Smythe and Shaheen all having expiring contracts at the end of the season, Seathan Carter comes in and then you go out and add Hunter Long. I think Hunter Long kind of fits more in line with that 12 personnel, 13 personnel package where if you want to go with Gesicki and then another tight end, Hunter Long gives you the blocking that you've you've got from Smith, uh, Smythe and Shaheen. But the one thing I think I noticed about his game at Boston College was he was a lot like Durham Smythe in that it was basically a run-first offense where he was more of a run blocker and pass blocker. But then, unlike at Notre Dame, Hunter Long had the Boston College offense evolve into a pass-first offense, and he was the main target there. So it allowed him to exhibit the traits you heard about with Durham Smythe. Folks said they didn't throw him the ball very much, but he's athletic enough to make those plays in the passing game. But now you have more tangible evidence of that in Hunter Long's game. So that competition could be really, really good. I also saw a great comment online somewhere about how, I think it was one of the PFF draft guys, or maybe Dane Brugler, I forget, 
but he talked about how Hunter Long can take those little flat routes where the quarterback maybe checks it down or gets it out quickly in the progression on the play-action boot where you bring a tight end across the formation. He takes those catches and turns them into big plays down the field, breaking tackles with athletic ability and run-after-the-catch ability. So I think the passing game at both the receiver, running back, and tight end position has gotten better. We talk about the skill sets of guys that can play inside, whether it's Lynn Bowden, Albert Wilson coming back, Alan Hearns back off the opt-out. All three of those guys have slot production in this league. We talk about Williams and Parker on the perimeter. You've got developmental guys like Kirk Merritt, who was in the practice squad last year, that could possibly develop their game and become contributors in the near future. Super athlete there in Kirk Merritt as well. So this group is rounded out well. It's deep, both at receiver and the tight end position. We move along to the offensive line position now. And again, I just think vastly upgraded from what you had last year with 14 offensive linemen in this group. You get Matt Skura, Liam Eichenberg, and you go out and you also add in DJ Fluker to that group. So there is some more reliability, some more depth. And I also am really curious to get a look at Michael Dieter and training camp. We'll cover that here in just a moment in our training camp possible battles. But you look at what the the profile and the the trajectory and development of the three rookies and Jackson Hunt and Kinley. I think all three of those guys you can expect to have jumps this season. Matt Skura, I've talked about him on the podcast and the free agent reviews, how I thought his tape was very, very good in 2019, like pretty much Pro Bowl level. Just ran into a problem with snap issues last year. If he gets that sorted out, and again, that wasn't a downpour rainy game in New England against with the Ravens against the Patriots, but if he gets that sorted out, I like his game a lot. We'll talk about the competition at the what I think is the one spot remaining open along the offensive line here in just one moment. Moving along to the defensive line and how you categorize these guys is kind of tricky because some guys are considered linebackers, some guys are considered defensive ends, but at this group, they've got 10 on the roster here listed as defensive linemen. Adam Butler's addition inside, I just love what he does from an explosive standpoint to eat up blocks, to two-gap, to rush the passer and penetrate the pocket that way. He does so much uh, versatile, multiple positions for your defense. But the defensive line's ability, I think now, with a guy like Adam Butler, for instance, who really has that good pass rush, adding Jalen Phillips, who for my money is the best pass rusher in this rookie class and comes in so equipped with a arsenal of moves and counter moves and the athletic ability to beat NFL tackles, in my opinion. I think what you have there is more ability to win with four-man rushes and to create situations where if you get third and long, you bring four guys and you win a pass rush move and put pressure on the quarterback. And now he's got pressure while looking at a seven-man coverage situation where you can go man across the board with all these good cornerbacks. And I think Byron Jones, Xavier Howard, and Javon Holland, three man across the board in the slot and on the outside perimeter positions. Those three guys are so physical and good in press coverage. And then you have safety help over the top of that because you don't have to bring the blitzes and bring McCain or Rowe in the box and blitz them. Now, this quarterback has to deal with tight man coverage underneath and help over the top and pressure in his face. I like the way all of that checks out. And so along that defensive line, the way these guys, Raekwon Davis last year was fantastic as a rookie. Zach Sealer can play both inside. He can play the big defensive end position. He was incredible last year. Same story for Christian Wilkins. He does a lot of that too, inside, outside. And how about Emmanuel Ogba, the big breakout season he had last year? 
fantastic player who I think only gets more, or I should say less attention and more production because of the addition of Jalen Phillips. You also bring back John Jenkins, a big, strong nose tackle in the middle of that defense. Jason Strobridge developing as well. Nick Coe off the practice squad last year. Benito Jones got some reps too. So this defensive line, much, much improved. We move on to the linebacker position now, 12 of these guys in tow. And Roberts and Beagle back on top of what we already had with an elevation of Andrew Van Ginkle's playing time. You heard Coach Flores and Chris Greer talk about how they had some young players they want to get more snaps in accordance with the Kyle Van Noy release. And Coach talked about the tough decisions you have to make to move on from players like a Van Noy, like an Eric Flowers. And the first thing you ask yourself is, who do you have to replace those guys? Because you have to be able to answer that question. You cannot not have an answer to that question and then make the move. So you get the sense they felt pretty good about the way Kinley up front for Flowers is developing and then Van Ginkle and a committee crew behind that to eat into some of those snaps left behind by Kyle Van Noy. But if you get to Landon Roberts back off PUP possibly, we'll see if he starts the season, had a late season knee injury. I don't want to speculate on when he comes back, but we'll see when he does. You go out and you bring back Vince Beagle, who again, in that four-man pressure package, off-ball linebacker, guy that can come down on the line and put his hand in the dirt and rush the passer that way. More, more versatility that way. Brandon Scarlett is a huge, massive outside linebacker who contributes on special teams, but also can set a strong edge in the running game as well. Duke Riley, another special teams ace type of guy who can play in coverage, can kind of fill that Kamu Gruje Hill role. Bernardrick McKinney, we heard Coach talk about him being an off-ball, on-ball guy. So much versatility in this group. I think it got better, quite frankly. And then we go into the back end at defensive back. And once again, the ability to match that coverage with the sticky man coverage up front with the four-man pass rush, but also the opportunity to blitz when you want to because so many of these guys can blitz. And Javon Holland's one hell of a blitzer. Brandon Jones can blitz really well as two. So you've got so many options in that defensive backfield now. And we heard Coach talk about the passing league and how important it is to stop the pass in today's NFL and how it all kind of works together. Obviously, Bernardrick McKinney's multiple roles help you in terms of edge rush, A-gap, mug up your linebackers with he and Jerome Baker and bring pressure that way. But ideally, you've got to find a way to stop these these elite-level passing teams. We talked about this earlier. Buffalo ran more four wide receivers than anybody else in the National Football League last season. The Kansas City Chiefs, the Buffalo Bills, you have to beat those two teams if you want to get where we want to go. And that's where we want to go here in terms of the Dolphins building up this defensive back group. But so many players in this position group, whether it's Justin Coleman or Noah Igbenogany and Nick Needham and Brandon Jones and Javon Holland for that kind of safety hybrid slot position, guys that play multiple spots, Xavier Howard, Byron Jones, for my money, the best perimeter cornerback tandem in the National Football League, Jamal Perry, Nate Hawley, Clayton Fedulum, all these guys that contribute on special teams. There are young guys on this roster, Javaris Davis, Terrell Bonds, Tino Ellis, Brian Cole, some guys that provide some potential practice squad developmental positions on this roster. I love this group. I love Eric Rowe, Bobby McCain, both such good communicators and versatile players that can cover man coverage, can play off the football, middle of the field, down in the box. Every single role you want to fill on the defensive back position, these guys can do it. At the specialist spot, four special teamers on this position group. Jason Sanders, the best kicker in the National Football League, got his extension. Michael Pilardi comes in to the roster here. I think that he is an upgrade at the punting position. For me, there was just too many inconsistencies in the punting game the last couple of years. 
Blake Ferguson back. I thought he had a tremendous rookie season. Seathan Carter, Clayton Fedulum, all the defensive backs we talked about that can contribute on special teams. Hunter Long in that regard. Jalen Waddle and Javon Holland as a return man. So I look at these position groups. I think your special teams got better. I think your defensive backs got much better. I think your linebackers got better. I think your defensive line got better. I think your offensive line has potential to get better. We'll see what happens with some of those competitions. And if the young guys take a step forward, that's a big storyline to watch. I think your tight end position got deeper, obviously. You had the same guys coming back, but you add Hunter Long and Seathan Carter. At receiver, I think we got much, much better. I'll go ahead and call running back a bit of a wash because we know what we had last year. Come back this year, Malcolm Brown and a seventh round draft pick in Jared Dokes are the additions. So we'll call that one a wash. And quarterback, I'll call it a wash as well, even though I expect Tua Tungabailoa to play much better this year. You know, Fitzpatrick Brissett, we'll go ahead and just call that an even trade out one for one there. So the roster, in my opinion, is vastly upgraded. Now, I do have a few questions and uh, things I'm curious to see how it plays out in training camp. Number one, I want to see, are we done at the running back position? We covered this early on, but I am curious to know if they'll make another move closer to the season. We know about the end of training camp, how there's always a flurry of activity. I wonder if somebody will shake free that they like and if they'll go out and grab him. As far as the competition at the position, I think Miles Gaskin right now running back one, but who carves out that role as running back two between Malcolm Brown and Savon Ahmed and the rest of the challengers in that position group? We'll keep a close eye on that. And then in the middle of the offensive line, we talked about Matt Skura having the snap issues last year, but he's a damn good player when he's right in that regard. And Michael Dieter, in very limited action last year, I thought played well. I thought he had a good camp, but because of no preseason, we barely got any game action out of him. Can't wait to see what he does in the preseason. That center battle should be a good one if we see anybody else added to the competition. Cameron Tom was a futures contract addition. Keep an eye on him this offseason as well. And just the O-line shuffle in general, we touched on this in the position review there, but Jackson, Kinley, Hunt, you feel like have safe bets to, to, to knock down or to nail down a starting spot on the offensive line. Then the winner of the center competition between Skura and Dieter and whoever else is in that group would then leave one spot, whether it's right tackle or right guard, depending on where Robert Hunt winds up between Liam Eichenberg, Jesse Davis, and DJ Fluker. I mean, all three of those guys are viable players along the offensive line. So the fact, and we'll see what happens with Eichenberg. He could even be more than that. We don't know yet. He's a rookie, obviously. But Fluker has been a good player. Jesse Davis has been a good player as well. That's a fantastic three-way competition. Either way it shakes out, you feel good about your swing tackle and your swing interior guys. So seven really quality offensive linemen, at least, at least. We'll find out if more guys step up and kind of claim that role. But proven-wise, seven guys you feel great about right there. So, and then on the defensive side, I don't really have any questions up front. I think we are deep and versatile and good as anybody up front on the defensive line with now Ogba and Phillips, Wilkins and Seeler and Davis and Butler. The hits keep on coming, man. That's a fun group. At linebacker, the only real question I have is about usage and who fills what role. We talk about Scarlett and Riley, those additions to the roster. McKinney playing on ball and off ball, as Coach Flores mentioned. Jerome Baker, so multifaceted and so important to this defense. Elandon Roberts coming back. I, that was a bit of a surprise to me, but in a great way. Love the way he plays the game. So this team could have depth and special teams and pass rush and run defense and coverage, everything you want there. And then in the defensive backfield, you know, my favorite concern here is where do all the snaps go? Last year, the Dolphins defensive backs played 5,116 snaps and nobody eclipsed 1,000 snaps. So you basically have, you know, 1,000 snaps is a full-time position in the NFL, give or take. So you basically have five full-time positions you have to round out. And the truth is only three or four of those guys are actually going to come close to 1,000 snaps in a given season. So you've got, you know, upwards of 2,000 snaps to give out to guys like 
Brandon Jones, Noah Igbenogany, Javon Holland, Justin Coleman, and Nick Needham. That is an epic, epic training camp battle. Consider those names I just gave you, and then go back to the 2019 season with how the Dolphins roster ended at the defensive back group. Remember when we went through every single week, they were adding guys and putting them on the football field? Walt Aikens, Nate Brooks, Adrian Colbert, Montre Hardage, Tay Hayes, Nick Needham, Stephen Parker, Eric Rowe, Lyndon Stevens, and Jamal Wiltz. Now, of course, Jamal Perry. That was your 2019 defensive back group compared to what it is now. Great job overturning that position and Coach Flores getting the guys he loves. He talked about being a safety coach at heart, so he loves having those guys in the building. He talked about being a passing league. Checks those boxes. All right. Let's go ahead and finish up this podcast here. I was going to cover some future draft draft capital, but I'm not entirely sure what it is right now. So I'm going to circle back on that for you guys. I know we have an additional 2023 draft pick. I know the third round pick that we had uh, originally has been traded to go up and get Liam Eikenberg, but we do have the third round comp pick from the 49ers. We have the fourth round draft pick from the Steelers next year. And then so many trades have been made that I'll have to catch up and find out where all those picks come in next season. The schedule releases here in what is it going to be nine days from the time this podcast is out? So next week, we're going to cover that in depth and talk about how the Dolphins schedule works out as far as home games in September, cold weather games, divisional games, when those happen, the short weeks, the long weeks, all the fun stuff, primetime games. So don't forget to check that out. We also are going to have on Wednesday's podcast, Emery Hunt, who's at Football Game Plan on Twitter. If you don't follow him, he does great work. One of the deepest college evaluators there is out there in terms of knowing all these lower level schools. So we're going to get him on here and talk about the Dolphins draft class, but also an in-depth breakdown of the seventh round draft picks from someone that knows those players and knows their game. And also the undrafted free agents we get here in Miami. We're going to cover all that later this week. And if you check out MiamiDolphins.com, we're going to have written profiles covering all the film, stats, quotes from scouts and people around the league on each of these rookie draft picks. Jalen Waddle and Jalen Phillips are both up on MiamiDolphins.com right now. Javon Holland coming your way today, and we'll have one player for you every day this week from this draft class. As for my time, that's going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Follow me on Twitter at WingfieldNFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank and the Audible Podcast. And of course, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up. Also check out our writing piece.